0: Hello
1: and welcome to this week's Ulster Rugby Roundup, I'm Gareth Hanna and with me as always are Jonathan Bradley, hi how's it going, and Adam McHenry. hey guys, we're going to spend the next 44 minutes discussing Tommy Boo and in the final one minute of the podcast we'll cram in reaction to Lara Shell of a preview to the Wall game and of course our club rugby segment. So here we go, the Tommy Boo edition not really, it's not gonna be that much, but um the way these get these guys get carried away with things, you just never know. Jonathan, can you just sum up for us exactly what Tommy Boo means um, to Ulster and to Ireland?
2: Well I think just in terms of the that outpouring of affection that there's been in the last um yeah. The last two days, really, like, but didn't really mention there that he's retiring at the end of the season. In case anybody's been under a rock, I was going to say I'd be surprised if anyone <laughs> listening to this podcast has managed to uh, to miss that news. Like, um, people with that sort of profile are normally divisive figures. In some sense, you know, you'll always get somebody that's like, "Oh, he wasn't that good," um, or whatever. But you like, you go on Twitter the last two days, and there hasn't been a bad word said about him. and that's the kind of player that he's been over the course of, I suppose, the last, what, 14 years for Ulster, Ireland, Lions, the Ospreys, and just the sort of guy he is as well. You know, he's universally liked, but there's times when I think that maybe because he's seen as that sort of guy and everyone uh, has so much time for him that people forget how good a player he's been, almost, because, I mean, you're looking at it you're talking twenty years. Over the last twenty years, since Jeremy Davidson in '97, Tommy was the only test lion um, to come from Ulster. Yeah. You know, so that's the kind of standing of one over the last two decades. You know, <laughs> um, just the amount of tries that he scored in the Pro 14, obviously leading try score. Um and then he could have done nothing else in his career, and he'd be a legend forever because of 2009 as well so you're talking about one of the great pro careers one of the great Irish pro careers really
0: yeah Yeah, there's there's not really much more I can add Tommy's first spell was just it was as i was starting to get into rugby so i don't really remember remember him much before he went off to the ospreys but since he came back he he's been his legendary self and unfortunately towards the end his career sort of been curtailed by a few injuries but as johnny said just that outpouring of uh, love for him on social media has been incredible, especially from over in Wales, I've seen so many people from his time at the Ospreys saying how great he was, how, how much of a professional he was, which is yeah. amazing for someone who only spent three years there and of course, everyone here only has good things to say about him so um, I suppose we wish him the best and a happy retirement and plenty more Getaways episodes He was uh, he was brilliant for the Ospreys like,
2: when yeah. you go back to that time, because he played a lot of thirteen for them, and obviously wing as well. He'd gone over sort of off the back of not getting in Eddie O'Sullivan's World Cup squad for seven, and he, you know, he wasn't an established Irish international at that time. But by two thousand and nine, he was a lion, and you talk about that versatility that he had, that he had back then. You know, he was capable of playing for the Lions at thirteen and wing so you're talking about the pinnacle of the sport and he was able to play two different positions for them two very different (laughs) positions Um, and coming back uh, as Adam said obviously the injuries um, he had horrendous luck with injuries obviously but something I suppose from talking to him lots because with the amount of different sort of interests that he has away from the game sponsorship wise you get a lot of interviews with Tommy Bowie here, so he was having to do an awful lot of media still while he was out. And the approach that he took to that, and because you look at being out for so long, as he was after that injury in the World Cup, and then having the other setback, and being out for so long on the back of... Was it one game he played or two games he played when he came back? It was a
0: couple of games. Right, I cause
2: he, played, he played Zebra and scored the two tries, and then yep. was injured again and out for another lengthy spell. And... The way that he handled those injuries when I think and I if you weren't as mentally strong as he was, I think players would have retired after that that sort of failed comeback attempt. Mm-hmm. And for him to come back the way he did and approach his recovery the way he did, obviously everyone sort of thinks back to that game in the Six Nations last year where he comes on and breaks a leg after thirty seconds and you know, you're laughing on the way out because if you didn't laugh you'd cry sort of thing and that was the approach that he, he took to get him back and the testament to him that he was able to come back this season um, among the tries early on obviously now injured again which um, another sort of stroke of bad luck just a contact injury really but um, hopefully we'll see him back I think three or four weeks he's going to be back in training so he'll definitely get a send off um, in an Ulster jersey before the end of the season and absolutely deserved as well we sort of
1: mentioned it briefly there, but if we can just go back to that try in two thousand and nine, um and it was mentioned in the paper this morning about um the commentary of that moment and it's just such an iconic moment in in Irish rugby, but what was it what was it sort of like back then and you can go
2: back to the to living that moment?
0: I cannot even remember where I was at that moment, which probably sounds Yeah, probably That's sounds really
2: helpful given that I wrote in no. the paper today. Everyone can
0: remember where they <laughs> were for that try. No, everyone except that. I was probably I at home, but I, I mean, the try itself was fantastic. The cross kick bounced perfectly up for him, then outpacing Shane Williams, of all people, an equally legendary player from the uh, from the Six Nations for Wales. That that is the one moment that will probably stick with everyone for the rest of their lives with Tommy Bow. Um, <laughs> <apart from you. laughs> I can't remember where I was, but I can remember the try very vividly, uh, and especially Jim Neely's commentary, which was absolutely fantastic. It's one of the best pieces of commentary I've I've ever heard. Like
2: it's my, it's my favorite piece of commentary from anything ever. Yeah, <laughs> it's o- it's unbelievable. Uh,
0: holy good God in heaven, Tommy Bow, <laughs> what a try!
2: It's all, it's unbelievable, but like. For people who were watching on RTE downsides as well, they have the the Ral Nugent Tommy Boo with about eighteen o's in the middle of it as well. So no matter what uh, TV station you were watching that on, everyone it seems to be everybody's favourite piece of commentary. <laughs> I almost sort of got you in a bit of trouble and worked at it that moment. Uh, yeah, because uh, well, your old work, we should say. T- yeah, ten year ten years ago now. So uh, so obviously working in a bar at the time and they just wouldn't give us wouldn't give us a day off to watch the rugby. So we all had to come in early and then. Uh, Celebrated a little bit before before the shift, and then, uh, <laughs> sure,
1: the less said, the better,
2: maybe. Probably. probably. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, well, moving on to um, Ulster's fantastic win last weekend. Um, I mean, Tommy Boo has somehow managed to become the headline in in this week above <laughs> any week. Um, what a win on Saturday! I should point out that I've sat down fully, one hundred percent, committedly watching. I mean, I've watched quite a bit, but really. Really committed to watching one and a half games of rugby this season, and that was the second half against Monster and the full game against Larishell. So, I think I am probably a Ulster's good luck charm.
0: Yeah, we've got to get you a season ticket at some point. Yeah, well,
1: like a Ulster rugby, are listening to this and want to pay me to come and watch every match. <laughs> I mean, we can we can discuss. I'll put them in contact with my agent. But yeah. um,
2: are, so, you, how did? Are you available for Wasps on Sunday? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, how did? How did Ulster manage to do this? I mean, last week in the podcast, neither you seemed very hopeful. Although Alan yeah. I did say to you in the car on the way home that I thought they were they were going to win, if you remember. But anyway, you d- enough you about, did enough in fairness, about me. In yeah,
0: fairness yeah. you did. Ulster got this victory off the back of a brilliant defensive performance. Mm. They had one lapse uh, where Rodney Ayu didn't quite create the pillar and Victor Vita went through and then set Ballas away. But defensively, Ulster were just brilliant and this is where we go back to the inconsistent season they've had where we've had good defensive displays in patches but for the most part the defence has been poor on Saturday, Ulster did something which I thought was really good, was they got in and around, they disrupted the La Rochelle offloading game, because even though the weather was quite poor, you could see that La Rochelle were coming over, trying to play as they usually do, trying to get those runners off the shoulders and get the offloads going. Ulster just put someone in between and just said, no, you're not going to do that, and they forced the rocking game. Now, La Rochelle still actually were probably slightly the better side at the breakdown, but... Cutting down their main way of playing the game, it forced them to reevaluate. It forced them to change their tactics, and they just didn't quite uh, get that same go forward ball that they would usually get. And also, just did very well shutting them down. And they needed to be because they had that. Uh, La Rochelle had that pack dominance, as we saw, but also just an open play. They just did not let La Rochelle get uh, get the front foot, and from there. That they took their tries whenever they came to them. That mall was perfectly executed. Jacob Stock deal with his bit of individual brilliance down in the corner. Um, and then what impressed me most was that third try, especially after just conceding. You've just gone behind just after half time. You could let your heads drop. You could think we're in for a long second half. Ulster just went up there. They put the squeeze on them right from deep in their own 22. La Rochelle tried to go and it didn't work. And Darren Cave, with a bit of luck, sticks out his foot, gets the ball and puts it inside to Timoney, who goes over. That, for me, was one of the turning points. Rory Best talked in the week leading up to it that Ulster didn't win the moments against Leinster. They absolutely won the moments against La Rochelle. They won that one where Cave got the block, they won the scr- they didn't win the scrums but they won the moment down at the scrums where they managed to get that turnover and they managed to clear it and that was the difference this week Ulster won those moments
2: The breakdown for me, you mentioned the breakdown a while ago there, the breakdown for me was something that was interesting because you look at that back row that they had, they had Gordon Gordon Vito triumvirate there and um, Timoney and Ray coming into the Ulster back row not an experienced duo. I thought they did really, really well um, in what was a big ask for them. But for the breakdown, certainly initially, Larachelle weren't committing numbers to it with any great regularity. Um, It would normally be the tackler would release, he would contest the breakdown and he would be joined by somebody else. Now, when it was the likes of Kevin Gordon coming in, they would get a bit of success. But by and large, they wouldn't commit the numbers. They would fan out and just make sure that Ulster weren't on the front foot, so when Ulster were on the ball, they were being driven backwards continually, and that essentially happened up until the yellow card, which changed the dynamic of the game. Um, bit of a soft one, I thought the yellow, look, like, but um, I thought the fellow was a bit unlucky.
0: You can you can make two points of that, though. You can say that he could have maybe got out of the way, or or at least stopped, or something. I I agree, there was the case for not the yellow card, but. Um, I can see where Wayne Barnes went uh, went for it though I'm surprised it didn't go to the TMO though yeah
2: well like you looked at it initially and you are like oh he could be in real trouble here and then mm. you watched it back and you went from thinking it could possibly be a red to thinking it possibly shouldn't be a yellow um, so and that's with the benefit of watching the replay mm. so yeah I'm surprised that it didn't go to the TMO but the yellow card was one of the turning points in the game it was about 4 or 5 but uh, the yellow card was a big moment um, throughout the season, taking that monster game aside, Ulster haven't really taken advantage of teams playing the fourteen man. So I don't think we should discount the fact that they got back into the game against fourteen because that has, especially in that uh, Leinster game here, there's been an issue against fourteen men at different points during the season. Um, and then, sort of obviously through no fault of his own because he's been in great form, but Craig Gilroy going off cave coming into the centre and Lou Liddick going out in the wing, I thought Lou Liddick was fantastic. Mm. Um, that seemed to give the side a better balance as well mm. um, in the back line, which also would help to explain the fact that they were so much better over the last hour of the game than they were in the first uh, first 20. Score tries and important points, um, with Roy Best getting over when they were down to 14. And then just as uh, Paul Jordan came back on, uh, Stockdale got the try where he finished three three people that should have uh, should have been able to stop him, but I don't quite know how he finished that one, but um, surviving that passage of scrums on their own line like the scrum was always going to be undersized to take on that La Rochelle tight five but to survive that passage of scrums, and it was during that time that you made um, subs, Kyle Cam McCall came on but to survive that without a penalty try and without um, getting a yellow card was massive and as Adam sort of alluded to there as well the uh, being able to score just in response to La Rochelle so quickly because La Rochelle's score largely came out of nothing I mean it was a counter-attack Rory Best did well to tackle the fullback, and then it was just that sort of momentary lapse that you can't afford against a team like La Rochelle where they didn't seal up the side of the ruck Vito broke through and it was a try and all of a sudden they were down again
0: the th- big thing for me is Ulster have now created a blueprint for going forward. That performance wasn't perfect, not by any stretch of the imagination. Defensively they were good. In attack, I still think they looked a bit toothless. They were they were constantly being pushed back by La Rochelle. It needed some sort of a some sort of a strike move or a kick over the top or something just to test them and stretch them. But the blueprints there, not every team is gonna have and 144-kilogram prop scrumming against you um, in Uenia Antonio, And not every team is going to have Vincent Pello coming off the bench to replace him as well. Um, but if Ulster can get forward parity, if they can continue that defensive structure going forward, then that is where they can build on their success. It won't work against every team. They will have to make little changes here and there. But I think that performance just gives them an idea of what they have to do to be a bit more a bit more successful as they're going on because we've talked about the consistency just not being there. Focus on this week just trying to replicate what happened last week and I think they've got a good platform to build on going forward especially going into this week against Wasps.
1: Well how good we've mentioned a
2: couple of times but um, Rory right Best And um, just how, how do you sum up that performance? Roy Best was fantastic. Um, it's been a real stop-start season for him because obviously the break from the Lions, then the hamstring injury, um come back playing a few games, going away with Ireland again, coming back playing one game for Ulster, and then uh, the infected foot. So it's been a real stop-start for him. Uh, tough to get any momentum like that, but he was he was absolutely brilliant. The uh, you talk about your your natural leaders showing what's required and I know we've had a few listener questions this week actually about whether Ulster are too reliant on the uh, on those star players and whether it should be responsibility should be spread more throughout the squad I think it's something that uh, Donahoe Callaghan and uh, possibly Eddie Sullivan talked about uh, during the last week as well but the way that he came out and Ian Henderson was the same came out and the ferocity that they showed the willingness to do dirty work. Um the way they cleaned out rocks, the way they made the effort to ensure that Lara Rochelle didn't get the quick ball that they like after tackles was uh, exactly what was required and they both did it stupidly and then obviously Rory pops up with the uh the try when it was required as well. Yeah, well we had a Lester question this week that um asked why
1: uh, Ulster can be sort of so good and so bad, um within the same season. I can't remember how exactly it was phrased, but um Rory sort of in light of his performance on Saturday, he gave a good interview to you, Jonathan, there was it last week or the week before? Uh, Monday it um, was was oh, it this one was it, I yeah. thought it was, oh, there you are time flies um, <laughs> it's been a long week <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought this was from an old interview apologies but um, yes no, Rory gave that interview an interesting bit in it where he says that uh, he could sort of tell last week obviously it was this week because he mentions the match on Saturday yeah. of course it's all right. but
2: you, uh, like, <laughs> I'm sure you read it it's
1: fine <laughs> <laughs> um, No, the interesting bit then when he mentions how he could tell sort of during training last week that they were going to win and he says that whenever Ulster train well very rarely do they not play well but whenever they don't train well they're in the lap of the gods so is that a little bit concerning at all that even on the training field your captain is able to tell the week before whether you're going to win or not I mean surely training should be at top
2: level or fairly close to it all the time It was an interesting chat um, with Rory on Monday especially sort of around this idea of... Because, I mean, that's what I was going in with looking to find out his opinion on why they were able to go from that Leinster performance to the La Rochelle performances and the differences that are there. Um, so he mentions this moment in training when the ball goes loose and Charles PSI flies into it uh, to kill the ball, which is something that had really annoyed Rory Best when it didn't happen and... Um, against Leinster because they conceded a penalty, didn't kill the ball, Leinster went quickly and they ended up um, conceding a try. So to, to have that intensity in training in the build-up to a big game, and like Rory Best has said all this essentially, you know, he's not saying it was great that we did that against La Rochelle and ignoring the fact that that means yeah. conversely that it doesn't happen for other games. Um, so that idea that training isn't always at that standard um so the obvious question to go from there was well did you know against Leinster that it was going to be the shambles it was on the basis of the training but obviously with the short week you didn't really have enough training to do I suppose yeah. was his response to that but it, I mean he talks about the idea of Ulster having such an inexperienced squad at the high level because there isn't that wealth this season of boys with test level experience Boys of playing in the sharp end of European competition because the turnover from 2014 has been very large in terms of who's played in European quarterfinals and who hasn't and he said it was frustrating the idea that with so much experience having left the squad over the last four or five years the idea that you're having to re-educate was the phrase that he used re-educate players of what it takes to produce these performances that is very much a work in progress. He mentioned John O'Gibbs as somebody who's come from the environment of Leinster and then Claremont, where that environment is ingrained that that's what you need to do to win, that they're having to uh, sort of wait for people to appreciate that almost. And that is, well, that was his opinion on why you can see such fluctuation at times like it was recently from week to week and half to half sometimes. Yeah, well, uh, he he
1: talks then about um, Rob Little, just in that uh, in that theme of educating boys, as he says, when you get a young kid like Rob Little um, with a handful of Ulster caps, uh, and he looks at the New Zealander like uh, Charles Piatai and um, how much he's going to be earning next year and things, but it's bound to click with a young player like that that Charles does this every week in training, and that's how he goes out and does what he does on a Saturday. So any young player watching Rory's performance on Saturday he, he's living out what he's talking about here, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, he is. Um, there are guys who just haven't ingrained in them that there is an intensity, as, as Johnny exactly was saying, there is an intensity that you have to bring week in, week out if you want to be that test player, if you want to be at that upper echelon of uh, professionals in rugby. In New Zealand, it's driven into them from a young age, and you can see it as they're coming through. You see Rieko Ioane who, uh, I think he's only 20 or so, and he's up for World Player of the Year. You know That's mm. that a testament to the age that these guys are being told, you have to be the best, you have to put in this intensity, you have to be doing this week in, week out. Um, and it was very interesting that I was reading an article earlier this week about the school system in Leinster where they're doing so many hours a week in the gym, so many hours on the training pitch. They've replaced a midweek game with, a, I think it's a two-hour training session on a Wednesday afternoon that prepares them for the weekend. You know, There's so much influence going into these guys on how how their mindset has to be, how prepared they have to be. And it is the likes of Rob Little who's going to benefit from looking at Charles who's bringing that intensity to training. And it's stuff like that, even you know, with Christian Leleofano coming in, uh, that'll bleed down to Johnny McPhillips and Pete Nelson. Just the intensity you have to bring to training, the dedication you have to give to the game if you want to make it at the highest level. And Rory's right, you have to wait for these guys to be in that position. Ideally, they will come in and... They already have that intensity from the schools level but for, for the moment you know they are having to train these guys in how to have that intensity seven days a week because after a big after a big game at the weekend that's probably the last thing you're thinking about on a Monday morning but it's where you have to be to be at this top level.
2: Yeah, so it was, uh, it was Martin Mulsey who asked that question on Twitter just about why Ulster were so much better on Saturday and sort of saying was it Roy Bass coming back last game for Leila Fano or La Rochelle just bad travellers so hopefully Rory Best answered that uh, better than mm. we could and uh, I know Gareth likes it when I plug the wee online pieces so that piece is still on the Belfast Telegraph website you. if you want to go and read the whole thing.
1: You're stealing my job from my- here <laughs>
2: yeah. me, so I was going to say
1: um, Well best man of the match performance against La Rochelle last weekend helped to end his own personal run of 386 days without a win in an Ulster shirt, here's what he had to say about that statistic
2: after the game. Yeah, no, I think we can talk about that now without uh, a grimace. Uh, (laughs) Like it was, um, I think it was lying when I said that, you know, it doesn't affect and you don't think about it. Ultimately, you do because um, it means so much to all of us to win and and to win in in an Ulster shirt. And that's what we we prepare for. We prepare to win matches. And when it doesn't happen, it hurts us all. And um, I think it's something we talked about reactions over that Christmas period. and, And we probably, well, not probably we hadn't delivered on it um, but you if you look back at this week and the way everyone prepared and the way everyone weighed in and, and the hard work that went in um, it was nice that it, that it came out on the pitch um, for a bit of a change well of course
1: one game left then in the champions cup pool stage um, all a bit confusing
2: as yet do we know exactly what ulster need to do we won't know exactly what they need to do until Saturday at the earliest, possibly Sunday just before the kick-off. But in the simplest of terms, if they win, they're into the quarterfinals. And if they win with a bonus point, then they're at home in the quarterfinals. Yeah. There is a possibility that they may need just a losing bonus point or possibly two losing bonus points if it were to be a high-scoring game to get into the quarterfinals. But, yes, yeah, we say, we won't know that until the end of the fixtures. But the benefit from Ulster's point of view is that because they kick off last, um, they'll know exactly they'll know. what they need, yeah. I mean two years ago against OI and I you had no idea what you needed apart from just to score lots of points, so <laughs> they'll be going in, they'll be kicking off and they'll know exactly what they need, so that's as good a position as you can be in.
1: Yeah, from others as lazy as myself, that don't want to have to go and look it all up, do we know
2: what results we're looking out for on, on Saturday or ones that we want? It's actually, it's really really tight um this year more so than in any year i can remember because there's so many groups have even three teams that can finish in the top 2 at the minute um essentially you want scarlets are already on 17, 17 and Toulon are on 18 they play each other so you would say that unless um scarlets hammer too long and too long get nothing out of that game that a runner-up is going to come from that pool uh, you've also got Munster uh, Racing 92 and Cast can all still technically come out of uh, that pool but you're really looking at upsets then in in that pool because you'll be looking at Leicester to beat Racing would be a good result for Ulster mm-hmm. Cast to beat Munster but not convincingly would be a good result for <laughs> Ulster um Osprey's to get beat by Claremont and Saracens to not get a bonus point against Northampton would be a good result for Ulster. And what's the other pool?
0: Um Glasgow need to beat Exeter.
2: Yes, Glasgow he looked object against uh against Leinster on Sunday would need to show up in front of their home crowd against Exeter and if they can deny if they can deny Exeter uh, sorry, if they can beat Exeter because Exeter are on fourteen, mm-hmm. then that's a good result for Ulster. And you also need Montpellier not to beat Leinster. So just wait until Saturday. Just really, and- essentially, <laughs> Ulster just go ahead and win, and then we're done. Yeah, time. yeah, they will we'll not But the, about the it.
0: bottom the bottom line is, and it's a strange position for Ulster to be in because we haven't been in this position for several years. But their destiny is in their own hands. A yeah. win, and they're into the quarterfinals. A bonus point when they have a home quarterfinal. It's simple as that. Yeah.
1: And the extra bonus then for Ulster, obviously, was the, the other result at the weekend, um, which effectively puts Wasps out ahead of this
0: game. I know it's... well, they're not quite out yet, and we'll get onto that when we, we actually yeah. discuss the game, but... I'm gonna put my neck on the line here and say Wasps will be out well, no, look, by, the time, uh, by th- the time the game kicks off. I, th- I think they will be out by the time the game kicks off, but because they're not out, I think that affects what they're going to do this this week Some, in terms of in terms of their team yeah, somebody's mm-hmm. going to get 18 points basically well ex- exactly um, but yeah Harlequin's so you, are you expecting as strong a wasp line up as possible I'm, then, I'm expecting think? as strong a wasp line up as possible because they have to go into it on the assumption that everything goes their way and they're in mm-hmm. with a shot as I said I don't think that'll happen but they have to because you name your team in advance mm-hmm. you have to go in the assumption that this is what's happening But Harlequins did also a massive favour in that it now puts Wasps at a considerable disadvantage to go through. It means by Sunday they could not have the motivation to actually go out. You've got to remember they have a significant injury list and any more to that would be significantly stretching their squad for the Premiership going forward. So there is the possibility that going into Sunday, Dai Young will be saying look guys, go out for the win, but ultimately don't get yourselves injured because we need you for the Premiership more than a tournament we're already out of um, so <laughs> I
2: don't think you can rely too much on Wasp's mindset because you know you saw Harlequins had nothing to play for against Wasp now. I know obviously rivalry but even Northampton beating Claremont you know in front of your own fans teams aren't going to go out and half-ass things it's just, yeah. just not going to happen like but just in terms of, as Adam says, whilst with their sort of lengthy injury list, are they going to risk players here maybe 50-50 who would otherwise play? Like Nathan Hughes is already out. We're recording this on Wednesday so we haven't heard the James Haskell verdict. Has-
0: Haskell's out for six weeks.
2: Sorry, we have heard the James <laughs> Haskell verdict. Um, breaking news, which yeah. will not be breaking by the time this is published. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that's two big losses in their back row and that's just an example of the centre as well. I mean, very similar to how they were set up when they came over to Belfast. Uh, their squad is really, really stretched at the minute.
1: Yeah. Um, so, uh, in a word, or a close to a word, are we expecting
0: an Ulster win? Um, again, the, for all we know, Wasps could uh, decide that they'd rather arrest a load of players and put it out. Like, I said earlier that Ulster have... The blueprint now to go forward and start getting a bit of consistency, and there's they've got the motivation this week. They absolutely have the motivation this week to make the quarterfinals. So, I, th- I think as long as they can back up that defensive performance, they have the X factor in that back line that someone can do something like we saw Stockdale do, and you know a few bounces of the ball and it can go their way. I think they will do it. I'm going to completely switch my mindset from last week and go from <laughs> completely negative. Well, look, that is the thing. You know, all it takes is one result. And yeah. you've heard the guys say that maybe this can be the springboard to go forward. Mm-hmm. Beating La Rochelle here, how many people genuinely thought they were going to do that last week? I don't think you're going to find too many. You two are pointing at yourselves but behind the scenes I know exactly what you two are saying. Um, I wrote in the paper,
2: that, in my prediction, that Ulster would win, so I don't know what you're talking about. And I told you in the car, which
0: isn't as official at all, but like... I'm, I'm going to say Ulster do it, but I'm going to say they do it without the bonus point and Lara shall steal in and win the poll.
1: Yeah, I think yeah, that's... So, so, so you're putting Ulster to go through, but to be away... But as,
0: but as one of the best runners up, yeah. i I would absolutely love to have a quarterfinal back here um, because that's Saracen's game the atmosphere whenever the team ran out at the start was one of the best I've experienced mm. at uh, Kingspan Stadium but La Rochelle I think are going to absolutely hammer Harlequins um, and yeah. put something like a cricket score on them <laughs> um, and unless Wasps fall apart defensively I think uh, we'll only get the four points mm. John, What do you think?
2: We should probably just ask Rory best how training's going, and then <laughs> we'll do. <laughs> we'll Wait, that could know. be a new section of the podcast: Rory's training update. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure Rory would be thrilled if we <laughs> asked him every week how training was going. Um, no, I, th- I think I agree with Adam. I think they'll win, um, but as high scoring as some Wasps games have been of late, I don't. Th- I think it's a big ask to go and get a, bo- a try bonus and a win away from home. Um, no matter what Wasps have on the line, and so it's funny because it's you come down to these fine margins, I suppose, and everyone talks about how great the win was, and it was. Uh, probably it was their best win for a very long time, really. But if they had just been able to, you know, one more one more penalty to deny La Rochelle that bonus point, or yeah. even a drop goal when they were lying underneath the posts, yeah. and you're talking about just needing to win the game to have a home quarter final, but. That's what this competition does every year. There's always, you're always sort of sat there thinking, if you just had one more point, you know.
0: You've, you've got yeah. to remember as well. They were so close to getting one more try, which would have given mm. them the try bonus point, and then denied Lara yeah. Shell the losing bonus point as well. They could be so much better placed. But then one thing I've just remembered for this week, you've got to remember. Wasps need a bonus point win. You know nothing else will do for them. It has to be a bonus point win. So I just
2: don't don't think that'll be the case. No, I don't.
0: I I don't think that'll be the case as well. But again, this is what they're coming into. This is what they'll be training towards. This is how their Mm -hmm. mindset will be in the week leading up to it. So you could end up with a very open game, very fast flowing, very, um, very much attacks trying to uh, better defenses. So we we could end up with a very high scoring game and that's where Ulster could really excel because whenever those gaps open up, you know, you've got the likes of Stuart McCluskey who can really suck in a few defenders uh, and then you've got a really potent back three in Stockdale, Ludic and Piatow who are fantastic broken field runners. So a bonus point is not out of the question. Mm
1: I think it's the first time we've heard the word Excel in relation to Ulster this season, so you boys are definitely <laughs> feeling a lot cheer here.
2: I didn't say Excel in relation to the podcast. Then. <laughs> oh, never, never.
1: Um, so these guys are feeling quite optimistic for the weekend then. Um, Chris Henry told us how the players in the squad are feeling ahead of the game against Wasps.
2: I guess as players, we
1: know we've gotta go. We got to go with the same focus as to win the game, uh, as to turn up and perform. Um, but obviously, we know that we not we all know our, our mouths, we're not that silly. I'm sure some of them don't, but you know, if we get four tries look, you know, it's in our hands and we can we have an opportunity to do something really special. So yeah, it's nice that it's the last game, I guess, that we're gonna have a good idea of um, what points are required to do what. Um, no doubt we'll all be sitting in the team room and um, fueling up and watching other games. Um, because it's, yeah, the, the Champions Cup, European Cup weekends, it's, it's exciting to be able to watch other teams as well, and it gets the adrenaline the, the going, and you're sitting there watching um, all the other big teams playing, and, yeah, it's a pretty cool feeling to know that you're going to go out the next day and do the same thing, so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big weekend coming ahead for us. We should probably say, if you can hear a bit of a muffled leaf blower this week, um, it's because we are at Kingspan Stadium, but we've given ourselves a little treat of uh, being in the media room, because it's much warmer than being outside, and... For the first week ever, we have a live studio audience in the shape of Ulster photographer John Dixon, the lovely shape that it is too. Um, he's here just listening in and preparing for his own Ulster Rugby Roundup podcast debut, which will follow in the weeks to come. So that's something for us all to to look forward to as he gives a little rise, smile. He's packing up the dome.
0: He's had enough. He's also shaking his head, which <laughs> he's, he's not biting on that
1: one. No, he's not. You would better be livelier than on this when he's actually on the podcast. Anyway, listener questions. Our first one comes in from Matthew McNabb. And he asks, is there any chance of Christian Elefano coming back next year? Obviously, Christian played his last game at Kingspan Stadium last Saturday and plays his last game for Ulster next Saturday.
2: Yeah, I asked him and he laughed at me, uh, first <laughs> of all. And then said, basically, never say never. He's had a contract with the Brumbies after this Super Rugby season obviously he's taken with the place and the place is taken with him so it wouldn't be something I would rule out that's not with any insider information so <laughs> things still NIQ spots are obviously going to be in a state of flux until things are more settled with what's happening with the squad next year so it, I think it could definitely be an option basically
0: never say never
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fingers crossed well on the subject of NIQs then um, Dave Blair on Twitter again Jonathan was very popular on Twitter this week um, a lot of questions from your twitter uh, Dave Blair as I said asked
0: um, are the NIQs adding enough to the Ulster squad well Charles Piatai of course adds a great deal to the squad simply because of the talent he is um, then you start to look at the others and I know this question probably comes off the back of Jean Dysel being dropped in uh, for preference of Matty Ray and Nick Timoney which certainly doesn't bode well for him because your NIQs ideally you want four guys who are going to come in and who are going to be nailed on starters in your squad who are going to be guys who will be star attractions and you look at Jean Dysel who has been out for so long with an injury we should probably uh, add which really hasn't helped him but he hasn't had the impact that you'd want. Ulster need a dynamic ball carrier in that back row, someone who's going to make you significant meters with almost every carry, or at, at the very least force defenses to get sucked in whenever he does carry. And he hasn't been that this season so far. Again, I'm going to give him the benefit of the benefit of the doubt because he has been injured for so long. He's got to work his way back into form. But for. Uh, for someone who was signed as Ulster's dynamic ball carrier in the back row he just hasn't been that and then you have Skalk van der Merwe, who uh, has been signed and is supposed to be the next loose head and he, he just hasn't lived up to the billing either again he's had his injury problems but in the games that he has played he hasn't looked steady in the scrum he hasn't carried well Again, it could just be a case of he has to play his way into form, but he wasn't exactly a big name before he came here, or even a recognisable name, which certainly never bodes well whenever you're uh, whenever you're signing someone who you have a limited number of. Ulster need to... Uh, need to... well, <laughs> not need to, but you'd like to hope that the names coming in for next season would be bigger and more recognisable. And again, as Johnny says, you know, Ulster are going to be sitting down they're going to be working out who they're going to be able to bring in next year. But it's whenever you're talking about your NIQs who are going to be on big money and who you need to be making a big impact in the squad, you need to make sure you're getting it right. And <laughs> I've left out the main one, Kutzea, simply because he's been injured so much and that's, that's not Ulster's fault. You know, the whenever they signed him he then got injured straight after that which was unfortunate came back got injured again came back got injured again like, you, you, can't, you can't sort of prepare for that. that that's out of Ulster's control really. I think
2: you're in a strange position this season with the NIQs because you've got three NIQs and what in the olden days would have been termed a project player and I uh, Shaq van der Merwe will probably be the last of those because you're now switching into the the five-year uh, residency period. So that changes the dynamic there. But Katsia obviously signed as, as Adam says, the dynamic ball carrier. Hasn't played, so that's a dent in your and IQs. Uh, van der Merwe, whether through injury or form, hasn't been able to dislodge the loose heads that are here. We now see Callum Black has really reclaimed that. Um, number one jersey uh somebody's out of contract at the end of this year which um, I think the way he's played recently will probably have changed people's opinions on that um, John Dazel signed off the back of Arna Booth being injured so you're in a strange position there and Charles Piatay being such a good player that he was worth signing in a position where you didn't necessarily, you wouldn't have been looking for a fullback I don't think if a player of that ability didn't become available. So that's, I think this season especially, you're in, you're in an odd place with your NIQs. And then in an ideal world, and the way Leinster are going at the minute, when we say an ideal world, it normally means that we're going to compare things to Leinster. You've got James Lowe, who's a brilliant player, again in a position that Leinster had plenty of strength anyway. Um, Issa Nassero who's been a stalwart for ages Scott Fardy who's been a brilliant signing for them and I'm forgetting somebody
0: No I'm not playing
2: Leicester Oh Jameson Gibson (laughs) Park who while behind McGrath has looked fine every time he's played against Ulster like I know people are critical of him but the two games he's played this season against Ulster he's looked very good so uh, you really need to hit on your NIQs and there's As we say, there's a variety of reasons, um, primarily the injury to Marcel Cotillo, why that hasn't happened. And I think it shows, again, that if you're only allowed a limited number of these people, that it's something that you have to get right.
1: On then to our club rugby roundup and another pat in the back for us. We correctly predicted that Rainey would beat Sunday as well. They did so 15-8 in Division 2B. That kept up there. Chase at the top of the table there in second place. And to tell you a little bit more about that is Adam. You're just taking lines out of my club roundup, aren't you? I'm just showing how knowledgeable <laughs> I am with the... Irish rugby website sitting
0: open in front of me. Yeah, nice. So <laughs> we start with the All-Ireland-Bateland Cup. There was heartbreak for City of Armagh as they ran Division 1A opponents' court constitution all the way in their 2013 loss at the Palace Grounds. A disappointment for them. Uh, in, Ulster Bank, er, in the All-Ireland-League Division 2B, rainy old boys are now just three points behind Old Crescent at the top of the table after their win over Sunday as well. While Belfast Harlequins picked up a losing bonus point in their 22 18 loss at home to Wanderers that could yet pre- vital at the end of the season. And in the Towns Cup, Ballymina twos won the only tie played on Saturday, defeating Dungannon twos 28-20. And the fixtures very quickly this week. In the All-Ireland League Division 2B, a rescheduled game as Dungannon welcomed Belfast Harlequins to Stevenson Park. In the Sony Ulster Premiership Division 1, Ballymina are at home to Malone. Van Bridge are away to City of Armagh, while City of Derry face Ballinahinch. And in the Premiership Division 2, Oma are on the road to Bangor and Queen's University take on Rainey. Game of the week. This week then, um, we
1: are going for the All-Ireland League game, Dungannon against Harlequins. Jonathan, I assume you're predicting a healthy
2: Harlequins win? <laughs> well, obviously things haven't been going particularly well for Harlequins in the All-Ireland League. Um, it's an interesting game in terms of, obviously with the rescheduling, you can see the impact that this is going to have on the table already. And uh, if Dungannon win this and do so at home with a bonus point, I mean, they then go tied for fourth. Uh, which is a big change from where we were looking at Tengallon even maybe a few weeks ago, and again, Harlequins with is it six six points there are on. Yeah, um, you can find yourself cut adrift if you don't win this game in hand. Then you're six points off the team above you. You're second bottom. It starts to look like a real slog then in terms of the remaining fixtures. Uh, but yeah, I mean Dungannon at home. Obviously, it's not ideal to be. Um, having a game like this when there's so many A fixtures on but that shouldn't really affect uh, affect this game at all should it so uh, yeah it's hard to see anything else apart from a Dunganum win really
0: yeah. yep no, I'm going to agree with that Dunganum bonus point win for me
2: good that's good I'm just relieved then that I don't have to have the deciding
1: vote again this week well fingers crossed um, myself and Jonathan will be back next week Adam's away on his holidays um, and we'll have another guest in with us um, holidays so- again
2: what was I on holidays before sure went in and other places they're not holidays they're <laughs> work related more time off than your average MLA <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell it's time to end the
1: show with me it Jonathan Bradley cheers thanks very much Adam McKenwick see you soon guys and me Gareth Anna thanks for listening